Amen. Amen. God bless you all for being a part of the Alamo City family today. Our family gathered in this room, good to see you. And our streaming family scattered all over the place. We welcome you and greet you in the name that is above every other name. Will you speak his name with me as we start? The name Jesus. One more time, the name Jesus, the name Jesus, the name Jesus. No matter what, Jesus is king. No matter what, no matter who wins, no matter who loses, Jesus is king. I am more concerned about the attitude and the heart of the church in America than I really am about the outcome of the election. The Lord has ways of allowing circumstances, folks, into our lives, to press in and around our lives for the purpose of accomplishing some things that if we were just left alone, if everything was just smooth, if there's never any wind blowing, if there was never any change in our circumstances, we would never be changed. But the Lord has said, and Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, that we have been predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus. That's not going to happen unless we have some forces that are working on us to shape us. That word of conformed is a, is a word that kids understand and moms understand. It's a Play-Doh word. You've got that soft, shapeable stuff that you can poke in on and it'll leave a dent. You can mash something out and it'll leave a poke. It, it's conformed. It's shapeable. And that's what the Lord uses circumstances in our lives to do, to shape us more and more into the image of Jesus. So the question as we approach Tuesday is, how much more like Jesus are we becoming as a result of the pressures that we feel in our culture and from the news sources around us? No matter what, Here's the truth. No matter what, Jesus is king. But because Jesus is king, I want to give you this morning four things that an election can't change. I'm speaking to the people of God. I'm wanting to speak to the followers of Jesus. You believe you've received Christ as your Savior and Lord and when you confess him as Lord, that means we confess him as the King of kings and the Lord of all lords. We elect a president. We, we elect congressmen. We elect senators. We elect mayors. We elect sheriffs. But we bow before a king, and his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. Because Jesus is king, for the people of God, there are four things that an election cannot do. Are you ready to think through that with me? 
Number one, an election can't block time. An election can't block time. What do I mean by that? The minute that one election is over, the clock starts toward the next election. Two years, four years, six years for senators. The point is, if you could stop time, if you could quit seeing the sun rise and set, if you could stop time, then you could cause what you do or what you create to be permanent. The truth is, there is nothing about the coming election that is permanent or any preceding or future elections. Now, now stay with me. Some of you are thinking, is he getting political? Where, where, where the political scheme that we're involved in intersects the word and ways of God, then you make the choice whether that's political or not. But here's what we've got to understand. That if we're anchoring our hope, if we're sinking our peace of mind, attaching our peace of mind this morning to the outcome of something that is destined to not be permanent, we are setting ourselves up for disappointment. Whether your person wins or your person loses, God is bigger than time. David will say, my times, O oh Lord, are in your hand. Our times are not in the hands of the Republicans. Some, somebody, will y'all wake up? Are y'all asleep this morning? Our times are not in the hands of the Democrats. Our times are not in the hands of the government system. Our times are or in the hands of the Lord. Where, where there is, where, where, and, and, and the news has to sell. Fear sells. If we can get people worried and we're in the news business, then you're going to get a whole bunch more views. So you, the, the, the point is, we've got to make this seem like everything that's going on right now, it's all over if it doesn't happen right. It, it, the world is coming to an end. No, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's important that we vote. It's important that we pray. But the result of all of this is ultimately in the Lord's hands. And it, it can cause the people of God to become unnecessarily fearful, unnecessarily unsettled and afraid. If somehow we're thinking that what's coming on Tuesday is a permanent, forever, no way out, this is it, it's all over, just not true. An election can't block time. The sun is going to come up on Wednesday morning. If we live long enough and Jesus doesn't come back again, we're going to finish next week out. And then that week is going to turn to a month, and that month is going to turn to a year. And before you know it, we're right back in the middle of another two-year cycle of elections where the faces can change and the policies can change. 
And if we are anchoring our peace of mind to the rise and fall of something that is not permanent, we are setting ourselves up for disappointment and frustration and an instability that the Lord never intends for his people. Amen. Preacher, preacher. <laughs> okay, now let me show you something. In Psalm number 49, would you find Psalm 49? There's so much hope Though it's a, it's a sobering statement, a sobering section of Scripture. Psalm, Psalm 49, here, here is how it begins. Hear this, all peoples. Give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, both rich and poor together. My mouth will speak wisdom, and the meditation of my heart will be understanding. Verse 5. Why should I fear in days of adversity when the iniquity of my foes surround me? Even those who trust in their wealth and boast in the abundance of their riches. No man can by any means redeem his brother or give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of his soul is costly and he should cease trying forever. That he should live on eternally, that he should not undergo decay. For he sees that men, that even wise men, die. The stupid and the senseless alike perish and leave their wealth to others. Their inner thought is that their houses are forever and those dwelling, their dwelling places to all generations. They've called their lands after their own names. But man in his pomp, may I add, but woman in her pomp, all right, people in their pomp will not endure. He is like the beasts that perish. This is the way of those who were foolish and of those after them who approve their words. Skip to 16. Do not be afraid when a man becomes rich. When the glory of his house is increased, for when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not descend after him. Though while he lives, he congratulates himself. And though men praise you when you do well for yourself, he shall go to the generation of his fathers. They shall never see the light. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beast that perish. Temporary, fleeting, nothing permanent. An election, those who would be elected, whether they be wealthy, smart, powerful, charismatic, fill in the characteristics, their faces and their policies, church of the living God, are temporary are not permanent. Therefore, it is a warning to us. It is an encouragement to us. Don't anchor your peace of mind on the outcome of an election. Because if you win it this time, you got to fight for it two years out or the next four years or the next six. I'm just saying, God has something far more in mind 
than for the church to be frantically going through these motions of dread and worry and fear and, and, and amazement and even great confusion every two years. It's not the will of God for your heart. We are to pray. We are to vote. But we are to put our trust, not in the outcome of an election, but our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and his way and his will and his authority. Amen. An election, election and election, no election has the power to block time. Every face you can see, every platform principle, every policy is temporary. If it's good, it's still temporary and can be defeated the next go-round. If it's bad, it can be defeated the next go-round and something good come back. But it's up and it's down and it's up and a down. And we are not supposed to feel like our job, our job is to be batted around by these various winds of doctrine in our day. Because Jesus is king. Because Jesus is king. An election can't block time. I want to show you another verse related to this. This is in Colossians chapter 1. If you, if you would find that. Why, why, why are we able to say that the Lord, our, to the Lord, our times are in your hands? How, how can we say that? How, how, how do we know that the, 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 the passage of time, the allotment of time, is in the Lord's hands and not just a random motion or in the hands of men and nations. Look at this in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Speaking of Jesus, and he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. For by him, verse 16, by him, by means of him, through him, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. It is by the power of the word of Jesus Christ that he stepped out on nothing described in Genesis 1 for us and repeated again in, in John chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 1, the statement again, it was Jesus who was the agent of creation. He stepped out onto nothing and he said, let there be and everything that has come into being in all of the universe came forth. One of the things within all of that created order was the sun, were the lights in the universe. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who set the motions, who set the 24-hour rotation for the earth to fit into the process, for all the planets to function in that way, for the universe to know the lights and the seasons and the, the order of the created plan by the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who holds time in his hand. It's not people. It's not men. 
It's not women. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who holds time in his hand. I need to feel like I need to, to, to just say that again. The, the news media can frame this as if this is, this is so permanent. This is so final. This is so ultimate. There's nothing beyond this. The world can blow up. It's all coming down to this. No, it's not. No, it's not. The world is not going to come loose. The universe is not going to blow up until Jesus Christ says to every molecule and atom, let go. He is the one in whom all things consist. He is the glue. He is the universal, divine, supernatural glue that holds the molecules in your body together. He is the one in whom and through whom all things consist. Now, the point of that is, folks, just take two or three steps back. Take two or three steps back from all the noise and all the, pro- the prophecies and prognostications going on. Of folks saying it's this way, it's that way. If this happens, if this happens, just back up. All the noise, all the predictions, all the names are temporary and not permanent. Barack Obama, former president. George W. Bush, former president. Bill Clinton former president, George H.W. Bush, former president, Ronald Reagan, former president. How far back you want to take it? They were all temporary. They were the most powerful men on the face of the earth, but they were temporary. They couldn't last. They couldn't block time. They couldn't keep it from moving on. It's true for them. It's true for our elected officials and the process we're in right now. Even if a Supreme Court justice is appointed for life, there's a temporary dimension to that appointment to life. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, dead, gone, her influence, her ability to influence the life of the nation, it's over. She wrote judgments and said was a participant in other decisions, other renderings that would go. But as far as her ability to speak one more syllable into the future or the present of this nation, she's incapable. Everything you can see, every face you see, every voice you hear with regard to this election is temporary. It does not have the power to block time. That is supposed to give us a sense of rest, a sense of peace, a sense of a determination of who we're going to trust. And I pray that the heart that's alive in you and working in you as a follower of Jesus, as a child of God, is that my eyes are on Jesus Christ. One of his names is the Ancient of Days. That means he can't get too old. He can't get too weak. He can't run out of stuff to bless and help his people with. He's permanent. He's eternal. 
He's steadfast. He's not going anywhere. He's permanent. Everything else is temporary. And when the enemy comes and starts pressing in and starts tries to, trying to get you all worked up and agreeing with everything you're hearing, would you just somewhere talk to yourself? David talked to himself. Why are you in despair, oh my soul? Talking to himself. I will yet praise him. I will yet praise him. Why are you in despair, oh my soul? I'm in despair because I'm being told that everything that's going on right now has a permanency to it. The truth of the matter is, every face will change in time. Policies can be changed, amended, thrown out altogether, or approved by someone else, but there can be another whole set of adversaries to that policy. Our anchor is not to be in the outcome of an election. Now, folks, can I just say this to you, please? Please, people of God, don't be tying your peace of mind to a particular outcome, even when it's something that you've prayed. Lord, now you know how bad we need this. And I'm, I'm, I'm telling you that, that, that this has got to be done. That this just better be done. This one better be elected, and that one better be defeated. And, and it's as if we're putting all of our eggs in the one basket that God's got to do it this way. And that's how we're going to know he loves us. That's how we're going to know he's heard our prayers. You know, the, the problem with that is it's kind of like a little old bit of ant on the ground that, that's, that's just, you know, one little small step away from your foot from being squashed into oblivion. And little Ann got lip and said, you better not step on me. You better not step. For us to be infinitely puny and we turn our little mouth up, God, you better behave. You better do it like I want it to be done because if you don't, I don't even know if you're there anymore. Listen, he's big enough and he's good enough and he's strong enough that sometimes he'll let stuff go the other way for his people in order to prove to us that he is big enough to cause all things to work together for good to those who love him and to those who are called according to his purpose. So that's the first point. An election doesn't have the power to block time. It cannot make the results of the election, either the people or the policies, permanent. Hold on to that church. There's freedom in that. There's hope in that instead of despair. If something goes away, you don't want it to go. Secondly, an election doesn't have the power to own you as a child of God unless you let it, unless you let it. The power to control our thoughts, to dictate our emotions, that, that whether or not there is trust and praise and, and hope in our hearts or whether there is despair, whether there is gloom. Here's what the scripture says in Nehemiah. It is the joy of the Lord that is your strength. 
you lose the joy and you lose your strength. Let me say it again. You lose the sense of joy and you lose your strength. Well, pastor, don't you realize what all's going on? Don't you realize what these people stand for? Don't you realize what's being said? I do. I do. I get that. But what is more important than memorizing the words of the negative and the passing and the temporary, what's more important is for my heart and your heart to be attached like an umbilical cord to the heart of Almighty God. And it's out of his heart joy will flow. Joy will flow. Even in a tough situation. It's no big deal to be joyful when you got all kinds of reason to be joyful. That doesn't take a miracle of the Spirit of God. But what takes a miracle of the Spirit of God is when it doesn't make sense to rejoice. When it doesn't make sense to praise Him and trust Him and thank Him. That is still going off in your spirit. People can look at you like you're a crazy person. But you know something and are experiencing something that they don't know. Let's church, hear it, hear it, church, across the country, around the world. It's a truth. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And Satan will work overtime with his PhD in human reason to steal your joy, to anchor your determination of whether you're going to be joyful to the outcome of an election, case in point. But when you're not anchored there, when it doesn't have to happen the way you would wish that it would. Because you're understanding that God is bigger than the outcome of that temporary election. And your heart is fixed on him. And the enemy has got to try something else on you. But if everything that's going on, that's swirling around in your mind. If that is causing you to lose your joy. Then Satan is having his way with you. I don't care how many Bible verses you know. I don't care if you've been baptized 20 times in the Jordan River plus here at Alamo City. If you found, if you've given yourself permission to walk around with gloom and live without the joy of the Lord being in your strength, if somehow you found a way to give yourself permission to live like that, Satan has spoken a lie to your heart and you've bought it. You say, well, it's so bad. How can anybody be joyful? I didn't write the Bible, and you didn't either. But the Scripture would say, and this was when Nehemiah's men were having to carry a, a trowel to spread cement to build a wall on one hand and a sword on the other hand because the enemies, every time they put a rock up, a stone up, the enemy wanted to come in and pull it down. It was in that context to those builders, to those warriors surrounded by enemies and with, oh, against overwhelming odds. It was to that group, the Lord said, through, through his man, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord tied to rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. The joy of the Lord tied to God being a part of regathering his people and reconstituting that nation. The joy of the Lord is your strength. You get filled up with his joy, and there's going to be strength to live your life, to face the conflicts, to go through what you would go with. Can't block time. 
can't own you. It can't own you unless you let it. I want to ask you, do you feel like you've got permission to be pessimistic? Do you feel like you've got permission to throw up hands in despair? That that can happen to us, that human side of us can happen to us when we have to deal with difficult news. But you don't need the Spirit in you to be that way. The new creation that we have the opportunity to be because of what Christ is doing in us is able to give to us that which we don't natively possess, which is His joy, which translates into strength. Strength. Strengthen us. An election can't own you unless you let it. I want you to find Ephesians chapter 1. And let, let me just read a little bit about this. It's just, it, it, it can't own you if you know who has bought you, if you know whose you are. I mean, really know whose you are. I'm not talking about some academic, yeah, I, I know God loves me. Yeah, I know I'm a child of his. It's not about just being academic and mental. We, 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 we could have only the written that could convey the information, but the Spirit, the Spirit has been given so that you could feel something. The Spirit of God Pouring out into our hearts is for the purpose of of just not knowing in our brains the truth of God, but the Spirit has been given so that you and I could feel, feel, let me say it again, could feel the presence of God. That's how Peter got boldness instead of cowardice. It was something he felt. He felt afraid. He felt ashamed. He felt cowardly. In that garden, Caiaphas' house, the betrayal of Jesus. But there was something else that he felt on the day of Pentecost because the Spirit was poured out upon him. Don't be talking to me about what you know. We, that, that's not our problem necessarily is that we don't know enough. We know plenty. But what we don't have is that emotion, that sense of, of feeling, if you will, that propels us to do what we know we're supposed to do. The Bible alone gives truth and gives direction, but it does not have the power in and of itself to convey, to impart the emotional strength and drive and ability that the Lord knows we need. So as a part of making us a new creation, he's got to change our want to. He's got to change our walk to. Can I say that again? Part of being saved, part of knowing Jesus is that he changes your want to. He changes your feelings. He changes your emotions. And I know sometimes folks say, well, I, I, I don't know, I can't trust my feelings. Well, you can't. You can't trust your feelings if, if, there's, if, if it's a set of feelings that come from the old life. But you get Jesus on the inside of you. You're praying, Lord, fill me with your spirit. Here here is the description of the fruit of the Spirit, according to Paul, Galatians 5. You name one of these that is purely academic and mental. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. 
Every last one of those are emotions. The Spirit moves to fill the hearts of God's people to stir up the most holy emotions, as it's been put in Scripture. So yes, yes, as He owns us, and, and the world can't work its way in, these other sources can't work their way in to, to try to cause there to be intimidation and cause there to be frustration and fear because there has come to be a settled sense within our hearts of that emotion of feeling the love of the Lord in my heart. Romans 5, 5, and the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Now, I realize that I'm, I'm saying this to, to folks just like me, that we can have some days when it seems like these most holy emotions are very present and very real, and we can get our hands on them and we live them. There can be other days, some days chicken, some days feathers. Some days it just, it's not there. It's more of a work. It's more difficult. But it doesn't change, it doesn't change the heart of God. That's why we're called upon to pray, Lord, fill me. Fill me with your spirit. Some days we can walk from yesterday into today, feeling like the, the filling of yesterday is we're, we're propelling on into today. But there can be other days we wake up, and Lord, the, the, the sense of knowing that I'm loved by you, the sense of being able to trust you, the, the sense of, of, of being able to, to really appreciate what your, your truths are for my life, the promises, they're difficult. That's why we're instructed to pray and don't ever quit praying. And especially when the times where we feel that ability, those emotions that are from the Lord begin to diminish. That's how why Jesus would say, if you then being evil, Rome, Luke eleven thirteen, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who are present active indicative, who are asking him? They had to be filled again from the day of Pentecost. That was Acts 1, Acts 2. By the time they hit Acts 4, they had been persecuted, put on trial by the very leaders that had, had promoted Jesus' death. Peter and John were standing face to face with Caiaphas and all the rest of them. And as a result of that, they came away from that time of interrogation and there were some things depleted from them and they needed to pray all over again. Lord, fill us with your spirit. We're not asking for a job transfer. We're not asking you to get us out of Jerusalem and send us somewhere else. But we're asking you in this place to, to demonstrate your power, demonstrate the strength of your name. Fill us, give us the boldness back again that we lost. Oh, child of God, child of God, it doesn't do any good to beat yourself up as to why you don't have those holy emotions working because you and I can't generate them on our own. That is the function of the Spirit of the Lord Jesus operating in our hearts as we pray, Lord, fill me. Fill me with your Spirit, meaning fill me with the sense of your love. Fill me with the sense of being able to trust you and believe you. Fill me with the sense of your presence. I know we've been on that for several months around here. But I'm telling you, folks, it is the dramatic difference between just an average, sleepy, pew-sitting, basically do-nothing, high and low follower of Jesus and somebody who has come to experience where to get your power from. And it's not just you staring at your navel saying, why can't I do this? Why can't I do this? Why can't I do this? 
Your navel could talk back to you and say, you're not ever going to do it. Quit looking at me. Look to Jesus. Ask him to fill you. Ask him to fill you. Well, I tried, I tried one time, and, and I didn't really get a prayer. All right, so how, what's the context? Luke 11. Jesus says, you knock, and you keep knocking. You seek, and you keep seeking. You keep asking until it happens for you. How will I know? How will I know that I've received the, the joy of the Lord working in my heart? It will be the exact opposite of what you've been feeling day after day going through this election cycle where it has been depression and sad and gloom and, oh, this is awful, and it's all going to end by, by Wednesday in, June, in, 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 in November. No. The joy of the Lord is our strength, and the power of election does not have the ability, the strength of election does not have the ability to own us unless we let it. This is in Ephesians chapter 1. Blessed be the Lord and Father, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to the adoption as sons, as daughters, as his children, through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, Forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Can I ask you a question? Out of all the people that you voted for when you voted, and I'm hoping most everybody voted, was there one person on that list that you knew personally? Or was there one person that you voted for that knows you personally? The answer for most of us would have to be, well, foot, no. I don't know all the politicians. Then, then folks, here, here's the deal. Why then do we think that we are supposed to entrust the whole future of our well-being, of our happiness, of, of, of our opportunities to people, number one, we don't know, and number two, who don't know us from Adam's house cat. When on the other hand, there is somebody who chose you before the foundation of the earth to be his. He adopted you to be his. He knew you before you ever knew your name. He knew you before your mother ever knew your name. He knew you before the Alamo was ever built on the banks of the San Antonio River in 1600 or whatever. He picked you out because he wanted you. He loved you 
though you had never said, Father, I love you. My brother and my sister, this is an important perspective, paradigm shift. The Lord has opened his heart up to us, revealed to us from the scripture. It's bearing witness by his spirit in our hearts that we are his. And he is ours. And his banner over us is love. And because of that, I can trust somebody I know. And I can trust somebody who knows me. And I can glance at, look at, vote, cast votes, pray for. But the security of my life is not in the hands of people who don't know me and who I don't know. The security of my life is not in the hands of a great big wad of temporary faces with temporary policies who will leave this life when the breath that God gave them leaves their body. They may, they may build houses. They may name lands after them, Psalm 149, Psalm 49. But the bottom line is, it is appointed unto man once to die. And after that, the judgment. So why, why, why should we convey the trust, convey to humans, convey to people, convey to elected officials the things that are the most important regarding the well-being and the peace in our hearts. We shouldn't. We shouldn't. There is a better option. There is another place to take your trust, and it is to anchor your trust in the one who chose you, who picked you out, who accomplished through his son's death on the cross what would be necessary for you to be forgiven and brought into the full measure of an adopted son or daughter of the Most High God. You, you are no orphan. You are no stranger to heaven. He knew you before you ever knew him, and he wanted you. Now think about this. Let's say you did know a politician. Let's say you did know somebody who was well-known and up the charts. But they didn't really know you. And, and the more they got to know you, the, the more they, they began to realize this. There's a fly in the ointment here somewhere. There's a skunk living under this house somewhere. Because the more they get to know you, the more they, they, they may discover some things about you that would cause them to realize that as far as you are concerned, you are more of a political liability than you are a benefit. So they distance themselves from you because of what they know about you. I got news for you, child of God. Jesus Christ died for your sins knowing every last one of them to every single detail of every one of them. And still he loved you. And still he went to the cross to die for you. There is nothing you or I could ever do that would cause him to separate his love from us because he knew it all when we went to the cross and before we'd ever lived today. Please let that in. Please let that in. If he's known you from eternity past, 
He's not going to drop you in the middle of some circumstance in your life right now where David would say, my times are in your hands, Lord. Everything about me in your hands, oh Lord. He can't own you. He can't block time. But an election also can't change God. An election, no matter the outcome, no matter who wins, no matter who loses, the outcome of an election can't change the heart of God for you. Will you find that passage in Deuteronomy that we've read so many times around here, I just kind of wish that your, when I call out Deuteronomy 28, your Bible just plops open to that one place. The heart of God, the heart of God, an election cannot change the heart of God to provide for his people. It doesn't matter what party is in power. It doesn't matter what the balance of power would be on the Supreme Court. Almighty God, your Father, the Savior Jesus, the work of His Spirit, has the ability to provide for you and the heart to provide for you no matter who's in charge in a human sense. Deuteronomy 28, Now it shall be, if you will diligently obey the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments, which I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high. Who's going to set you high? Democrats, Republicans, independents. The Lord your God, all by himself, has the ability to set high his child above all the nations of the earth. And he says in verse 2, And all these blessings shall come upon you, and overtake you if you will obey the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the offspring of your body, and the produce of your ground, and the offspring of your beasts, the increase of your herds, and the young of your flock. Blessed shall, you, shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before you, and they will come against you one way and shall flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing upon you in your barns and in all that you put your hand to, and he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God gives you. Who blesses the people of the Lord? It is the Lord God himself who blesses the people. We vote, we pray, the, the election goes the way the election goes, but that does not in any way negate, limit, shrink, or set aside the promises of Almighty God to you and for you. No matter who wins, no matter who wins, no matter who wins, no matter who wins, an election can't Change the heart of God for his people.
his heart to provide, his heart to prosper, his heart to hear. Second Chronicles 7, verse 13. If I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land and send pestilence among it, among my people, and my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then look at this, look at this, Child of God, look at this. Somehow we're so familiar with 2 Chronicles 7, 14 that it can just be numb to us. It doesn't have power. It doesn't have life. Lord, give this verse fresh life to your people. Give this verse fresh life to your people. Look at what he says. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their good ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. And I will heal their land. Who's going to heal the land? Is it the Republicans? Is it the Democrats? Is it some, some corporate body? If there's going to be a healing of the land where it means that the hearts of people are changed, where, where a return to the Lord is wholesale and deep within the hearts of people across the nation, where there's freedom for the Lord to bless the entire nation. Folks, if that's going to happen, it's going to happen because the Lord himself heals our land. The good news here, the point I'm making, is that you can't change God's heart to hear his people when they cry. That's what he wants. That's what he longs for. That's what he desires. I don't want there to be a, a, a restriction of my blessing, a, re, a diminishing of my favor upon my people. When my people see, see what they've done, they'll turn from their, their ways, their wicked ways, and call upon me. I'll hear their prayer. I will forgive their sin. and I will heal their land. I will heal their land. The power of an election can't block time. It can't own you unless you let it. It can't change God. And last of all, it can't stop Jesus. It can't stop Jesus. First of all, it can't stop Jesus from loving the power of election, no matter who wins, no matter its outcome, that does not have the power to say to the people of God, I don't love you anymore. I want you to look at Romans chapter 8 just briefly with me. Romans chapter 8. And I want you to understand, if you will again with me, the one who's writing this. This is Paul. Paul is in prison, not necessarily at the time of the writing of this letter, but for several of you, they call them the prison letters, the prison epistles, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. He wrote those from prison. So he'd write in Philippians chapter 4, be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, he's writing this from jail, jail, and the peace of God, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
that even in jail, even when he's in jail because the Roman authorities saw him as a threat, an existential threat to their rule, to their reign. And so they accused him of some crime of being an adversary to the state, and so they, they, they locked him up in prison because he would only confess Jesus as Lord and not confess Caesar was Lord. But they that there was such a, such a power that worked in Paul that the leaders in the, the local leaders of the government and eventually it went all the way to Caesar's court saw him as a threat to their power, their control. He says, even though he's in prison and even though things can happen that would go contrary to what we would wish, he writes these words, Romans 8, 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sore? Verse 37. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. What is he saying? How, how do you... How do you conquer? How, how, how do you conquer tribulation? How do you conquer distress and persecution if those things have not been lifted? If those things are still at your doorstep, if, if there is still distress coming, if, if there is still famine or, or nakedness, not having enough clothes, being homeless. If those things have not changed, how can it be that you say, Paul would say, but we overwhelmingly conquer them? Here's what he's saying. Those things come with lies attached to them. If there is distress, the lie is, that means Jesus doesn't love me anymore. Or if there's a season where there's financial lack or deprivation, that's happened because Jesus must not love me anymore. Here is what Paul is saying. Every one of those things that he listed and probably a number of others that he didn't list have come with their fists flailing, with their fangs drawn, with their, their vulgar lies and accusations and, and seeking to stow fear, vomiting out of their mouths. Here it comes, and the result would be, it is hoped by the enemy that you'll give up on the love of God in your life. But Paul says, we not just a little bit whip them, not just a little bit push them back, but we overwhelmingly conquer them because we have refused to believe that they could cut me off. Their presence and their activity could mean that Jesus no longer loves me. I am persuaded by the power of the Spirit that Jesus Christ loves me. Therefore, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, even death come. But it has not the power to convince me that I am no longer loved by the Lord Jesus Christ. He says this. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced, I am convinced, I am convinced 
that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Folks, listen. If you've tied your prayers for this election to the fact, God, you have to answer it this way. You have to defeat these people, and you have to elect these people. And you've left the Lord no wiggle room. You're you're the little ant telling him what he has to do. Now, I'm going to just throw this out there, and I don't expect everybody to just be saying, oh, that's just so good, Pastor. That's just such a blessing to hear. But what if the Lord wants us to know, because we've become such baby Christians, such sissy Christians in America, That the first sign of trouble, the first sign of opposition, first sign of sickness, we're just all of a sudden doubting whether or not we really have done what we should have done in committing our lives to Jesus. What if the Lord wants to show us, even during the seasons of adversity that can come, and many of you have walked through this, that even in those places, when it seems as if the circumstances are not easy, It's not all pleasing, but even there, in your spirit, in your heart, there's a knowing in your knower that I have not been cut off from the flow of the love of my Savior. If he loved me before he ever saw me, before I was ever a a human baby, If he loved me then, knowing what my sins would be, but knowing everything I would go through in my life. If he loved me then, and the witness of his spirit, the Romans 5, 5, and the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. The work of the Spirit inside us, conquering, 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 the lies that come on the backs of difficult circumstances, of when things didn't work out as easily as we'd hoped. Maybe our prayers weren't answered the way that we thought. And on the backs of those circumstances, the, 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 the forces of darkness are trying to say, you see, you see, he doesn't love you. You see, you've messed up too bad, and there's no way for God to forgive you. Come on back to the old way. We'll love you tries to draw us back into the places of death and emptiness and even decay and ruin. An election does not have the power, no matter the result, no matter who wins, it does not have the power to stop Jesus from loving you or is a proof that he doesn't love you. I'll just quickly, I mentioned some other things. We could spend whole days on these. It can't stop Jesus from loving you. Can't stop Jesus from giving power to his people. Philippians 4.13, Paul in prison, I can do all things through the one who is giving me strength. Let me tell you something. No matter how Tuesday goes, Jesus is still going to be giving strength to his people. He's still going to be enabling He's still going to be encouraging. He's still going to be building up. He's still going to be carrying you through. An election does not have the power to stop Jesus. 
from imparting strength to our hearts as we need it. It doesn't stop, can't stop Jesus from opening doors of opportunity. Can't stop Jesus from opening doors of opportunity. It can't stop Jesus from opening uh, Revelation 3, the church of Philadelphia. Jesus is saying to them, I hold the keys of David. I open and nobody shuts. I close and nobody can open. I've set before you an open door because you have a little power. He's saying to the church, you've kept my word and you've not denied my name. The doors of earthly opportunity, no matter who is in the elected positions of power, Jesus is above and beyond all of that. He is not limited by who is there. He's free. He's king of kings, lord of lords. And it says he holds the key of David, and I open doors for my people, and nobody can shut those doors. I shut doors to protect them, to keep them away, so they won't be hurt, and nobody can open those doors. Hold on to that, folks. The the election is not going to change. They're not going to take the keys of David out of the hand of Jesus. For you, for all of the Lord's people. You can't stop Jesus from seeking and saving the lost. He's still on the hunt for the lost and the broken and the hopeless and the needy. For the ones who would just cry out, Lord, save me. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It doesn't matter who is in power. The kingdom of God, which moves forward only as souls are brought into the kingdom. The kingdom of God advances only as the kingdom of darkness is defeated. That means ones whom Satan has had the grip on, Satan loses the grip of. As they are brought into the kingdom. That's why it's a war. The, 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 the bounty in the war, the, 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 the prize of war in this, in this war between light and darkness and God and the devil, it's the souls of men and the souls of women. And Jesus has come, the first John will say, to destroy the works of the devil. And he's come to set the captives free. If you're listening to this today and you don't know that you've ever been set free, you you, you don't know that you've ever really known what it is for the, you may have known religion, but you've never really known what it is for the life of Jesus, the literal, actual, spiritual life of Jesus to come alive in you. This could be the greatest day that you've ever lived. Jesus will say, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You call out. You just say, say it, Jesus, save me. Jesus, set me free. Jesus, help me. Jesus, have mercy on me. Whatever it is, but it's his name. It's his name, not God in general, not Mary, not Elijah, not Samuel. It's Jesus. Jesus, save me. Jesus, save me. He will take you at your word, and he will do more for you and in you than you could ever imagine in your life. Power of an election can't block time. It can't own you unless you let it. You can't change God. 
and it can't stop Jesus. So we're going to wake up Wednesday morning, and we may or may not have news of who won it, who won the places. But even if we don't have those, that news, or even if we do, these things that I've just mentioned to you will not be affected one whit. Hold on to that, people of God, church of God. So, so what do we do? We get our eyes off of being locked on to the noise and the sounds and the opinions in this life. And we let the deepest part of who we are drink deeply from the fountain of living water, the life of the Lord Jesus and our trust upon him. Lord, help my unbelief. That, that's, that's a fit prayer to pray. Lord, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm doubting. Help my unbelief. He has the ability to do that, to give that. Before we go, I want to just invite you to, to join me at some point during Election Tuesday. We're going to be getting out, and it'll, it'll be made available early Tuesday morning, probably 6 or maybe earlier on Tuesday morning, about a 5 or 10-minute um, video, just a tape, where you would join with me in prayer. We'll read some scripture, and then we will pray together. We're not going to be in the same room. This is a virtual kind of thing, and it, and it will be taped, but you'll be able to get it at any time throughout the day. Maybe as you're on your way to you watch it on your car. Pray with me. You can pray with me as you sit in your car seat. Uh, car seat. Uh, that's, like, that's a grandparent talking about car seats. I don't, I don't mean that. You're, you're, you're the front of your truck you know, or, your, or your car. Or wherever you may be, pull away at noon and, and find a quiet place and, and, and we'll meet together and we'll, we'll read some scripture and we will pray together. I'll invite you to join me in praying together. I'm praying that, that, that there'll be hundreds, if not maybe thousands of folks that will, that will link up with us sometime on Tuesday, during the day on Tuesday. It'll be ready for you first thing, but available from then on. And, and we're just, we're just going to say again to the Lord some of the things we talked about this morning. Lord, we trust you. Lord, our eyes are on you. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We're praying for your will to be done and your, your kingdom to come to the hearts of people and trust that he will lead us. There's something about being in agreement, in agreed prayer with what his heart is in heaven and where we stand on this earth. So I want to invite you. It'll come to you, email, Facebook, the usual ways that you get things from Alamo City. And I'll look forward to that time that we would have together sometime during the day or evening on, on Tuesday. Okay? Lord, thank you for our time this morning. Thank you for your word. Hold us close, Lord. Hold us close unto yourself. Fill us freshly with your spirit for this season, for this day, for these next few days in this week. Fill us, Lord, with your spirit so that we are marked by your spirit and not overwhelmed by that fallen part of us, that weak part of us, the flesh. We need you and we trust you and we thank you. Thy will be done, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 God bless you. Stay with us just, just a bit longer. Amen. Thank you for such a powerful word.